0: Well, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. I pray your hearts have been prepared and you are ready to receive the word this morning. Um, It is great to see you here today on this nice, cool, July, reading morning. Praise God for air conditioning in here. But it's about to get hotter. Are you ready? (laughs) Because brothers and sisters, we're in Romans 2 today. And uh, we continue on this journey, but before we even get there, I do want to say a hearty welcome. I know Griff has said this, but I want to say how good it is to see each and every one of you here today. My goal on Sunday morning is to try to say hi to as many people as I can, and it's impossible here. So I want to say it right now publicly. Hi. Good to see you. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you know you are loved, and welcome here at Cross Point Community Church, and we are so thankful that God brought you here. Uh, thank you to the worship team, music team this morning, who guided us in worship through song. Thank you to Griff Tonkin for bringing such life to our announcements. Thank you, my friend, and uh, opening us up with such a phenomenal verse of, um, of encouragement, but really of the reality of our own hearts. So, if you haven't done so yet, please take your Bibles, turn to Romans 2, your devices. It's also on the back of your handout. Uh, it will help if you follow along, even this brief little outline, it will help to follow along um, the thoughts today. We have a lot to cover. And so I pray, I hope that you came this morning with your Bibles, but you also, through the Spirit, brought your thinking caps. <laughs> I hope you're ready to think through text because this morning we got a lot to cover. We got from verses 12 to 29 today in Romans 2. There's a lot here, all in this same vein of thought from the Apostle Paul, so we're going we're to get going. However, we're going to still take about 15 minutes or two and uh, 15 minutes or so, and, and set this up. Uh, so it, it's more understandable for us, so I hope you're ready for that. As you're turning, if you still are turning, but maybe as the passage is sitting on your lap, have you noticed this? even through COVID and all the technology and all the presentation. And now as people are, are, are coming, uh, becoming more comfortable with, with getting out and getting about, have you noticed how absolutely consumed our current culture is with image and status? And then this how easily this image and status-driven culture seems to slide into the church of God. We're talking about you're someone if you look this way at church and fill in the blank. I mean, We're just going to be absolutely honest and frank and all of that from the start today as we are any Sunday. But here it is. This, this status-driven culture, this image-driven culture that says you're somebody if and how that weasels its way into the church of God sometimes and then you're, you're somebody in the church of God if you look this way or you're really someone if you if you taught this class to this specific group. Fill in any of those blanks. You're somebody. You're really someone if you know this religious leader. If you know them, if you've met them, if you sat under their tutelage, you're somebody. You're someone if you have served in this position for this amount of years. You're someone if you hold this religious degree from this institution. Fill in any of those blanks. You're someone if you've been in the church for this amount of years, occupying that exact same seat. You're someone. Do you see what I'm talking about? How this status-driven, image-driven culture so easily slides into the church of the living God. And if it's not you, I guarantee it's me. Because this is the temptation of my own heart. Obsessed with outward status markers that subtly distract me from what really matters. So... That temptation is not unlike the temptation that we're going to read about today in Romans chapter 2. We're going to think through this. We'll continue our journey today through Romans, and here we are in Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 29, and we will see true-to-life struggles of true-to-life worshipers in the first century who are struggling with this thought. I'm somebody if fill in the blank. And how that has stood in the face of a pure soteriology, a theology of salvation in so many people's lives. So I hope you're ready. Hold on, here we go. Romans chapter 2. But even before we unpack these verses, let's just briefly look at the roadmap on the back of our handouts because this does help every week to kind of review just briefly Remind ourselves where we've been on this journey. If you're new with us, we're on this journey through Romans and we're all the way through today getting to the end of Romans chapter 2. We've been in this for 2 months or 3 in Romans chapter 2, but before we got to Romans 2, we went through a wonderful introduction to this book. And then we came to this first major section in the book. If you look at that handout on the back, you'll see that this section really will run from chapter 1 verse 18 to chapter 3 verse 20. And As we've presented every week, this really is the ugliest part of our journey through Romans. This is ugly. This is bad news. Before we get to the good news, we really need to interact with this really bad news. Why? Because this section, these two and a half chapters, in these two and a half chapters, Paul highlights the total depravity of every single human being. Here's why this is so ugly. Every single human being deserves God's righteous condemnation. Because of sin, not one single person can stand on their own guiltless and innocent before a holy God. Okay, so for two and a half chapters, Paul just takes one layer after another and proves that every single human being ever born into the human race bar one save one jesus is a sinner in chapter 1 verses 18 through 32 which we went through last month we find him building this case against the truth suppressing pagans okay these are gentiles these are ones that are godless that grew up godless and they suppress the truth that god gave them and then we transition into chapter 2 and Paul takes his, his bony theological finger and just kind of redirects it. <laughs> in chapter 2, the, the, shil, the shift of guilt focuses to another group, and that is these self righteous, quote unquote, worshipers. These are primarily Jews in this context. If we're part of the church, and we talk of this every week, so I won't belabor this, but if you're part of this Roman church and you're reading this epistle, as the Gentile truth suppressors are being exposed in chapter 1, and the Jewish Amen section is robust with agreement, now chapter 2 makes the Jews get a little squirmy. Why? Because chapter 2 is written about all those who somehow think that because of their ethnic background, their religious traditions, their outward conformity, or their diligence in formal acts of worship, somehow God will ignore their sin. Paul's point in Romans chapter 2 is this. All, all, all. Self-righteous worshipers deserve the condemnation of a righteous God. In other words, no matter how genuine, no matter how devoted, no matter how zealous, not one single self-righteous worshiper will ever be exempt from God's holy scrutiny of their sin. Wow! And you thought you were coming this morning to get a great encouragement, right? Here we are again in Romans 2. We must remember that in this church we have a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Not our particular church, but in the church of Rome, which we put ourselves into their sandals. But in this church you've got Jews and Gentiles. When you think of the Gentiles, these are those believers who have come to Christ out of godlessness, truth-suppressing, sin-saturated, paganism, and they've come to Jesus. And so when Paul says, you're a sinner, they're like, yeah, I know. I know I came from that. But then the other side of things is a a group of Jews that had come to Christ out of what's known as like this religious traditionalism, this moral elitism. To these believers, both Jews and Gentiles, Paul brings some amazing theological clarification in chapters 1 through 3. This is a reminder who they were before they were saved by grace but this is also brothers and sisters this is also a reminder not just who they were before they came to Jesus but who they were called to go reach. This is giving them this is giving them a theology of the gospel. Who are we to reach? This person in Romans 1. This person in Romans 2. Theologically, this is a crystal clear description of grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That is Romans 1 through 3. Naturally, though, as we travel through these first couple chapters, I mean, if you just, I love reading through these and putting myself in the scenario. And seriously, if you put yourself in Romans 1 through 3, you really get this sense going on here of sort of a, an us versus them. You catch that? More like a, a better than thou scenario mentality. As we're going through Romans chapter 1, the Jews are like, yep, I'm thankful that I'm not in chapter 1. Maybe we're not so bad after all. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm not as bad as them. I mean, so you kind of get this sense from the, the self righteous ones reading this. And it's sort of like this. You know, we're really kind of special, aren't we? <laughs> hey, hey, Gentiles, there's this guy. You may, you may have heard of him. Um, Abraham. Abram? There's this guy way back when, and guess what? Guess what? He got this thing called a covenant from God, Gentiles. I mean, talk to them sort of like out of ignorance, right? He gave them this thing called a covenant, and, and guess who he gave it to? Yeah, you're looking at him right here us oh and yet guess what gentiles you really bad ones out of romans chapter one guess what there's this other guy you may know him he kind of did this little thing like part the red sea and stuff his name's moses and guess what this moses hey you listening gentiles you bad ones in chapter one this guy moses guess what he received something from god it was the law and guess what it was for us Yep, it's for us You kind of sense what's happening here? I mean, I'm exaggerating it a bit. I'm painting a picture that may be a bit extreme, but nonetheless, there's this better than thou attitude going on, and then the hammer of chapter 2 comes down. (laughs) Like a lawyer in a courtroom with lock-tight arguments, Paul meticulously builds a case against any self-righteousness. Any self righteous worshiper who would dare think that he was somehow less of a sinner than a pagan truth suppressor. And this is Paul's key truth. All, all, all self righteous worshipers deserve the condemnation of a righteous God. And then here are his arguments. Reason number one we looked at two weeks ago. Here's the reason. Because God's kindness will not turn a blind eye at hypocrisy. Why? Because the goodness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. Here's the next one. Reason two. God's judgment is always impartial. We looked at this last week. God Almighty and His justice doesn't see skin color or ethnicity or background or or tradition. God's judgment is impartial. All self-righteous worshipers who somehow think that God is going to somehow look over their sin or or status, their sin isn't quite as bad as someone else, must remember that God's judgment is always impartial. And here it is today. This is the argument that we're going to look at today, from these 18 verses. God's expectations reach deeper than the outward. What does God see, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is clearly shared with us in the Old Testament. To Samuel, the Lord to Samuel. Remember this, man sees on the outward, but God sees the what? What? heart. And this description in Romans chapter 2 is a reiteration of what you find all the way through the Old Testament that God wants the heart. I'll start today by just highlighting a couple phrases. Let's just, let's just start by seeing this in verse 16 because we do have a lot to cover and I'm already saying a lot of words. <laughs> so let's just look at verse 16 and, and highlight a phrase. Verse 16 of this passage says, On that day, according to my gospel, the judgment day, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Right away in this text, we find there's something deeper going on. When we stand before God, it's not going to be, Ooh, you look pretty. Oh, you have that degree. Okay, we'll kind of take some of these sin marks off. Oh, you were taught by that person. Oh, you taught that Sunday school class? Okay, so you're not so bad. You understand where we're going with this? The word secrets means inward or hidden. exact same word we're going to find again in verse 29. So if you look at this text, you're going to read through these reasonings in just a minute, but you're going to find verses 28 and 29, verses 27 to 29, that really summarize the whole thing. And what is the summary? It's not just outward actions, but inward motivations, the hidden secrets of the heart that God sees. Verse 29. Paul explains it, that this is a matter of the what? Heart. This God that we serve once our heart man loves to focus on the outward naturally we want to get all pretty we want to wear a big smile we want to appear all put together we want to conform to the outward forms of religion and worship but biblical christianity as we'll see crystal clear today biblical christianity reaches deeper Biblical Christianity is about the hidden secret man of the heart. Biblical Christianity is about the inner work that can only come through the Holy Spirit of God. Biblical Christianity is about the inner transformation that will that will that will produce outer obedience. That is what we're talking about in 2:12 through 29. If you were to take all of these verses and kind of come up with a paraphrased argument, follow this paragraph as I say it. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying this to these self-righteous people. He's saying, sure, you have been blessed with possession of God's law, but simple possession of God's law, it's not enough. God expects you to actually obey the law he gave you, and if you're honest, you would realize that You don't actually obey. However, this is just an indication of the real problem. Your heart is dirty before God. That is the paraphrased argument of all of these 18 verses. Paul's argument comes with two main points. One for 16 verses and one for 2 verses. The main argument is this. Outward conformity is expected by God. So you wouldn't think that, would you? You would think, okay, what he's going at is this. Well, God doesn't see the outside. He just sees the heart. That's not really the conclusion of the Scriptures by grace. Outward conformity is actually expected by God. Obedience is expected by God. And we're going to walk through this very carefully. But inward transformation is the righteous standard of God. Okay, so time out already. I can see we're a bit bogged down by this. Okay, let's just make this practical, very practical. Lest we get all snarky on these Jews, (laughs) lest we get all judgy, we must remind ourselves that in our own pious, churchy, Jesus people way, we too are tempted toward the same mentality. (laughs) Are we not? I I was just overwhelmed this week going back to Luke chapter 18. God used Luke 18 to work me over this week. How good are we at the devious prayer of the Pharisee in Luke 18? And here's the pharisaical prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, (laughs) extortioners and unjust and adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And what is God saying to me? Hey, Andrew... Maybe it's this, you churchy Jesus person. I thank God that I'm not like that godless neighbor way down the street. Or that humanistic school teacher, how dare he. Or that transgender student, or that liberal politician, or that alcoholic coworker. Nope. Nope. I worship Jesus every Sunday and share regularly of my resources. Friends, this is the mentality that so easily creeps into our lives, the self-righteousness. This passage, Romans 2, is not just for first century Church of Rome. It is for the 21st century Crosspoint Community Church of Reading. Paul's key truth is this. Self-righteous worshipers truly deserve the condemnation of a righteous God. The reason, number three, because God's expectations reach deeper than the outward. First point, here it is. Outward conformity is expected by God. Can we just read about this? Obviously, we won't dig deep, deep into every phrase today like we do in some of these passages, but we will just walk through One verse at a time over the next three hours. So ready to go. Here we go. It's hot out there. You don't want to go out there anyways, right? Verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. All right. So the law is a massive discussion in this section. It's mentioned 20 times in 18 verses. What is this law? Okay, Paul uses the terminology law several different ways through his writings. Here, he is referring to God's law given to Israel through Moses at Mount Sinai. But this is in a very general sense, and it speaks to God's moral expectations for Israel, particularly summarized in the Ten Commandments, as we'll see in the next couple verses. By the way, Paul is not detailing all aspects of the Mosaic law here. All right? We need to understand that. He is using it in a very general sense to simply refer to all of God's moral expectations through a law that was specifically given to Moses or to Israel. Paul's point is not this. Please understand. Because this is a big discussion. Law, of grace. Paul's point is not this. New covenant believers must be. Still, be obsessed with obeying all the details of the Mosaic law. If that is the conclusion you come to in this passage, then you've missed Paul's argument drastically. That argument will be dismantled very quickly in the book of Romans, so just hold on, all right? Paul's point is this, however. It doesn't ultimately matter whether you are a Jew who has formally received the law or a Gentile who has existed without the law, all human sinners will still perish and be judged. That is Paul's point. Whether you've received the law or not, you're a person, and all people will be judged. Verse 13, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. The real value is not formal reception of the Mosaic law, but actual obedience to God's moral expectations. Obedience is what God requires. Formal reception of God's law would not save the Jews. That's what Paul's point is here. These Jewish people are like, yeah, we're okay before that God. Why? Because He gave us the law. We're good. And Paul's saying, that's not the point. Obedience to God is the point. An obedience, and here's where we'll come. This is where we're going in this book. It is an obedience that's not based on your own ability. It's not. Ten times out of ten times, because of your depraved heart, because of my depraved heart, I will choose to sin. This obedience only comes as God does a work of grace in my heart, and I respond in faith to this God. Let's continue on, because what happens here, just like any other sinners, even Gentiles will stand before God. As is seen in these next verses, verse 14, for when Gentiles, who do not even have the Mosaic law, all right, this is what he's talking about. Okay, so the Gentiles weren't even given the formal Mosaic law. But when they by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the Mosaic law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. God's moral expectations is written on their hearts. And then it's wonderful how Paul explains this. While their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Well, that was a mouthful. (laughs) What's Paul talking about here? So, when Gentiles, these godless pagans, obey God's moral expectations, even though they did not receive the formal law of Moses, they prove that God has instilled in them, as humans created in his image, he's instilled in them a conscience. Oh boy, that's a fun discussion. We're not going to get too deep into that today, but this. This is a conscience that is not ignorant to God's moral expectations and will be held accountable before God. Okay, if we can just bring that down to my understanding, okay? I'm sitting there thinking through this this week, and here's, here's where it downgraded for me. Even though God told the Jews to stay out of the cookie jar, the Gentiles in the same home have a conscience that also tells them to stay out of the cookie jar and they will both be accountable for eating the cookies when dad gets home. Let's go to that. (laughs) Again, the conclusive point is this. If we can go here with this, I think this is what Paul is saying. Hey, self-righteous Jews, your reception of the law, even though as wonderful as this law is, it does not make you so special that you will be exempt from the judgment of a holy God who sees the hearts of everyone perfectly well, both Jews and Gentiles. So in other words, just because you have in your possession the law doesn't mean you're exempt from God's standards of holiness, and that is righteousness in your heart by grace. Now, Paul gets dirty. He goes right at him. It's called diatribe. He's pointing the finger and saying, okay, if you haven't gotten the point yet, let me make it very clearly. Self-righteous Jews here. Self-righteous worshipers. Here it is. Verse 17. and I'll just read verses 17 to 24, and you'll see how in your face Paul is on this. Here it goes. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, having in the law the embodiment and knowledge and truth. Verse 21. You then who teach others do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing do you not steal he starts quoting some of the ten commandments here you who say that one must not commit adultery do you commit adultery you who abhor idols do you rob temples verse 23 you boast in the law You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. And then the dagger comes straight from Isaiah 52. And if you are a Jew and you know the law and you know the Old Testament Scriptures, you're going to be familiar with Isaiah 52. And here's what he says. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Whoa! I mean, I read this, I don't know how many times this week, and almost every time it seemed like I read this, I had one response verbally out of my mouth. Ouch! Seriously! I read through this text, and I'm like, wow, Paul, you didn't hold back one bit. I mean, what is he saying? The self-righteous worshipers here find significance in what? Calling themselves Jews. Relying on the reception and possession of the law. Boasting that they really know who God is. Knowing God's historic plan. Approving what really matters in life. Even instructing others from God's perspective. But there was a huge problem. What's the huge problem? They ignored their obligation to actually obey God. They were living on their status and identity rather than in obedience to God. I mean, if we dare. Okay, so I know this is getting, we're in the trenches here in Romans 2, but I want to constantly, like every five minutes, jump back to here, Crosspoint Community Church, okay? Can we bring this back to Crosspoint Community Church, the own temptations of our own souls, our own hearts, prior to becoming a Christian and even as Christians, some of the things we struggle with. If it's not you, then, in our own self-righteous way, we can look at the cultural Christianity around us every day. Because this certainly is what's happening around us. What do I mean? Finding significance in simply calling ourselves Jesus' people, but not obeying God. Relying on the possession of our Bibles, all 20 of them on the shelves at our home, but not obeying God. Boasting that we really know who the Creator God is. Not some force or object, but Yahweh. But not obeying that Creator God. Assuring everyone that we know the end. All of this nonsense right now that's going on, God's going to finish it. He will set it all right. But then in our own way, in cultural Christianity, not obeying God. Giving a thumbs up to what really matters in life. I've got all my political persuasions dialed in perfectly. Yes on this, no on this, yes on this, no on this. Really figuring out what really matters in life. But not truly obeying God. To somehow think or, or even to confidently instruct others from our Christian worldview. I'm going to tell you all about my Christian worldview. But somehow forgetting that God wants me to obey Him. Do you see how how slyly this enters into cultural Christianity? The church of God. All the while as we're saying these things, we're ignoring our obligation to actually obey God. And you're like, okay, Pastor Andrew, say it. What do you mean? Okay, here's what I mean. To battle the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. To say no to the flesh. Sure, we can argue a Christian worldview. Sure, we can argue about a God, the creator of the universe. But do we obey God by battling our flesh every day? Stop stopping the lying. And the deceiving and the slandering and cheating and stealing. Sure, we have our Bibles, but do we obey God by stopping the lies? Maybe we assure everyone that we know God and His plan, but do we say no to addictions and drunkenness? Maybe we get all these political answers just right. But do we obey God and refuse close companionship with those who despise God's Word and letting them influence our lives and draw us down from our stand in Jesus Christ? Seriously. Obeying God by stop worshiping the idols of humanism, syncretism, and technology even. These idols. A real deal in our lives. Obeying God. Obeying God by... Realizing that he has not exempted us from connecting with the body of Christ. Obeying God by his call to stay connected to brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Through thick and thin. Good, bad, and ugly. Obeying God when he says to read your Bible and pray, it means to read your Bible and pray. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean... You're maybe saying there, uh, Pastor Andrew, that's, that's a bit legalistic. Are, are you really teaching this? I'm going to tell you, we're so good at saying, I'm this type of a Jesus person. I've got my Jesus card with my Jesus people, and I got my date in the front of my Bible, so I'm good. Do you understand what I'm saying? Please take this from a heart of love. I, I'm with you on this. But then, how do we live? A life that refuses to obey God in the big decisions in the life and the small decisions of life. I'm not preaching legalism. This is a true description, and we will see this as we continue through Romans because this book doesn't mess around. When it says the just shall live by faith, it means it. From faith, for faith, it means it. Because this gospel is to transform our lives. Grace, if it is true, biblical grace will transform your life. Biblical faith will give new life through the Holy Spirit of God. Biblical salvation does not mean I am sinless. But brothers and sisters in Christ, it better mean I should sin less. And I think you've probably heard that before. Paul's argument is concluded with an illustration in verses 25 and 20 through 27. Here's the, here's, here's the illustration. Uh, just to be honest with you, not our favorite metaphor in the 21st century, but it is circumcision. <laughs> uh, we're like, oh dear. But this, this really meant a ton to these Jews. Why? Because this was, if we could just bring it down to what it signified... This was the Jews' outward marker of identity that tied them directly to God's covenant with whom? Abraham. Moses has already been brought into the picture with the Mosaic Law. Now Paul brings into the picture Abraham, an identity with Abraham. And here's how he says this if you just follow along as I read verses 25 through 27. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey. if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is circ- uncircumcised, a Gentile, comes or keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? I don't know how many times Paul said circumcision here, but it's a law. Verse 27, then he who is physically uncircumcised becomes but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but but break the law. In other words, even though you have Moses and you have Abraham, you're still sinning because you disobey God. Simply enough, this. Your outward identity is useless without true obedience. Don't hold on to your outward form especially if it doesn't produce obedience. But now we find the true problem. And this is so beautiful how Paul does this. He's building this argument all the way through here, and now we come to the last two verses that tell the whole story. This is the whole story of the Old Testament. You cannot perfectly follow the Old Testament law. Why? Because your heart's not right with God. And here's what he says. He talks of inward transformation being the righteous standard of God. Verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or, and physical. Verse 29. But a Jew, okay, in a broad sense, the word Jew he's referring to here is a son of Judah. A true child of God through Abraham. And by the way, remember the promise to Abraham. The covenant to Abraham included what? Land, seed, and through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. Including Gentiles. A true child of God through Abraham. This Jew is a true worshiper with a real relationship with God. So what's what's Paul saying in verse 29? Okay, so a real deal believer. A real deal worshiper is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. All right, so in these verses, Paul clarifies what the whole story of the Bible really is. God demands outward obedience, but outward obedience is not fully possible without the inward transformation of the heart. What God's doing in here. This is exactly what God says to Samuel, as we've already referenced in 1 Samuel. Remember this story. I mean, Samuel's got this wrong in his mind and he's looking for the king of Israel. And what does God say to Samuel? Samuel, no, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart exactly what Moses is talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 16. We're talking about the second rendering of the law to the people about to go into the promised land. And what does he remind you? It is not mere possession of the law, but obedience. But God's going to do something, and here it is. He references the new covenant that will come through Jesus. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your kids, your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. I mean, this is Moses. This isn't hidden in the Bible. Moses is saying, listen, you have this law, but don't neglect what God wants to do in your heart. This is exactly what the Lord says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. Verse 33, he says, though, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is the same as what God says to Ezekiel, the passage that our brother Griff just read in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove, remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Wow. Back to Romans 2. What is Paul's argument here? God wants our hearts. To any of us are, that are tempted towards this self righteous view that it's all about the outward, the status, the identity, the image, none of that will exempt us from the holy eyes of an almighty God who sees. In the hidden just as well as he sees in the light. And what does all of this do in Romans 2? I might remind you because we end this way every single Sunday. What is all of this doing? Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 3 is all yelling out something. And here's what it's yelling. You need Jesus. You can't clean your own heart. I mean, if you want to write down a passage, it's Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. We'll get there. Well, in a couple months. (laughs) Hold on. Because it says God's love is poured out in our hearts through the Spirit of God. Why? Because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Those self-righteous people that thought they were all good and could stand before God on their own. No, they can't. But through the love of Jesus Christ, exposed to them by the cross of Jesus Christ, they can now stand righteous before a holy God. That's where Romans 2 is taking us. So what? Today we dialed in on Paul's third argument. All right, this argument isn't pretty, but it's necessary. Paul's argument is that self-righteous worshipers deserve God's righteous condemnation because God's expectations reach deeper than the outside. So I think, I mean, we don't want to go out of here just thinking, okay, that that was some cool statements by Paul. That was a passionate sermon by Pastor Andrew. We want to go out of this room thinking, how is this going to change my life? and i really think we need to all ask this question is outward or religious privilege distracting us from the true condition of our hearts and this is something we we don't just need to pray about here we need to take this home and really think about this i'm not i'm not fibbing or lying in any way when i tell you god has been god has been tearing me up with this this week Where's your heart, Andrew? I love what one commentator, his name is Robert Mount, says. He really says it well. People, true to their nature, inevitably hide their real self and don a self they would like others to see. This second self is concerned to appear right before peers. The drive normally expresses itself in a legalistic battle for supremacy. Personal authenticity comes only when people surrender the hypocritical persona they appear to be and allow the self they really are to emerge. Do you understand that? My friend, are you aware of the true condition of your heart? Just because... I own a Bible, does not mean I'm right with God. Just because I go to church every single Sunday morning doesn't mean I'm right with God. Just because I know every worship song, or at least three out of four of them, doesn't mean I'm right with God. Just because I volunteer to feed all of the homeless in our community doesn't simply mean I'm right with God. You catch the gist of what's happening here in Romans 2? The list could go on and on. Today we're reminded that this, God sees our hearts. My unbelieving friend here today, as I try to say every single week, it is no mistake that you're here today. Maybe you've been wrestling with this for some time. But God wanted you here today. And I would say this, Would you come to this Jesus today? He is the only one who can truly, eternally deal with the sin stains in your heart. You cannot erase those sins. And when we stand before God someday, our hearts will be exposed. Our spiritual hearts will be seen. Jesus is the only one can wipe away those sin stains in your heart. Why? Because He went to the cross of Calvary for you. My unbelieving friend here today, would you admit that you are a sinner in need of a spiritual heart transplant? Would you believe that Jesus is the only one who can truly provide that spiritual heart transplant? And then would you call on Jesus today to give you that spiritual heart transplant my believing friends here today my brothers and sisters in jesus christ would you pray god's grace to rescue us all from a heart of pride do you you understand where we're going with this Once again, as we go through this passage, just like every passage we've gone through in Romans 1 and 2, a conclusion I come up with every single week, and I feel like God is just saying, hey, here it is, here it is, here it is. Andrew, never forget, never ever forget, Andrew, that you are a sinner saved by God's grace. It is not of you, it is of my mercy that I brought you into relationship with myself. Once again, we're reminded that spiritual elitism has no place in the body of Christ. We are all sinners saved by God's amazing grace. Let us never forget that a true worshiper with a real relationship with God, as Paul says in verse 29, is one inwardly. And true identity is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Come back next week and we'll find some more fun stuff in Romans chapter 3. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the time we could spend in your word today. So many words, and we just scratched the surface on some of these paragraphs today. But I pray that you would help us to, to get the primary theme here of this passage. That when we stand before you someday, in no way will you be impressed by our outer image our status our preconceived goodness you will examine our hearts my friends here today you listen so well as we walk through this today as we close out this morning we're going to close out in prayer and song just as we started in song and prayer but would you Pray this with me this morning that God would continue to reveal the true nature of your heart. If you truly have come to Jesus Christ by grace through faith, then guess what the good news is? God has given you a new heart. The Spirit of God is indwelling in your heart and He will never let you go. The problem we face every day is that We have this flesh, the temptations. that Terrorize this changed heart. Would you pray this week that God, by His grace, would help you to keep a healthy heart? A heart that is right before Him? For my unbelieving friends here today, I'm so thankful that you are here. And maybe you're still wrestling with your relationship with God. I would love to talk with you more about that. Anyone here sitting around you, especially the elders, deacons here, uh, chaplains here, we would love to talk with you more about this. But you need to know this as you came here today through these doors. That when you came into this world, you came in as a sinner because you came from Adam. You're a sinner not just because you were born in Adam's line, but you're a sinner because you actually sin. You rebel against God. But well, this is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ does not leave you without hope. And this hope is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross for your sins and mine. The scripture is very clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. Would you come to this Jesus today? Would you come to him in faith and repentance? Committing to follow this Jesus with your life? Would this be that day? My friend, don't delay. God, we thank you for the time we could spend in your word today. We thank you for how appropriate this passage is. Even how ugly it is. We thank you for the opportunity, privilege we have to study it. And I pray, God, that you please bless us as we go our way. Please help us to find our encouragement in your word, through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your listening ears today. Thank you for being here. Uh, Not not fun stuff, Romans chapter 2, but it's setting up for what we're going to get to in Romans 3, 4, and 5. So hold on. Keep coming. Keep finding your encouragement in the word. Uh, Some of you came this morning ready to worship God through sharing your resources. We're not passing any offerings plates here today. There are some boxes in the back if you'd like to share your resources that way. uh, Or there are also opportunities online if you'd like to do that. Uh, But I would encourage you to obey God as He impresses that on your heart uh, today and through this week.